I'm Audrey Cooper, editor of the San Francisco Chronicle. Today on Fifth Emission, I'm joined by Megan Casty. Megan covers criminal justice issues for the Chronicle and is one of our newsroom's more prolific requesters of government documents. One of those piles of records led her to a surprising story about the astronomical increase in prison drug overdoses. We'll discuss why that is, how drugs get into the prison system, and why we should care. Coming up on Fifth Emission. Megan, welcome to Fifth Emission. Hello. Thank you for having me. Now, your story that we put on the front page and is still available on sfchronicle.com was really kind of shook criminal justice for a weekend because you uncovered some surprising news about drugs in prisons. You want to tell everybody what your big scoop was? Yeah, sure. Um, You know, I I think it's one of those things that it's It was kind of an open secret. Everybody in the criminal justice system knew this was happening, knew that there were um, overdoses left and right in all of the prisons, but um, I don't think anybody really had a number on it yet. Um, But I I filed a public records request, got that back in a few weeks ago, and found that uh, there's really an epidemic level of opioid overdoses happening in the prisons right now. And tell everybody how many are we looking at exactly? Uh, nearly a thousand people uh, either were hospitalized or received emergency attention. Uh, so 997 specifically. And are these all op- opioid overdoses? We're not. I don't have that level of detail yet. Uh, that should be coming out later this year. But uh, prison officials have acknowledged that, yeah, pretty much most of them are opioids. And this is a huge increase over recent years. It is. Yeah, it's a 113 percent increase since just 2015. And uh, 2018 was the largest year-over-year increase uh, in those four years as well. And and many of those people didn't just get hospitalized, but they also died while in prison due to the overdoses. Yes. Uh, we, that's another record that we don't have back just yet. Uh, it should be coming in the next couple of weeks. But the most recently available data shows that, uh, yeah, there's um, – in 2017, I believe it was, uh, 40 people um, overdosed and died. Now, I have to get the cynics question out of the way right at the sure. beginning because everybody's thinking it. Megan, why should we care if people overdose in prison? They've been put there presumably because they did something heinous to somebody else, committed a crime. Why do we care? Sure. I mean, I think it depends on what do we as a society want prison to do for people? If your answer is to reform and rehabilitate and make the former prisoners, productive members of society when we get out, then, yeah, we should definitely care. We um, we don't want them to be in prison, overdosing on drugs or, you know, even taking drugs and then getting back out into society and falling back into old bad habits. Well, and not only that, but this is expensive, right? Yeah, it's very expensive. I mean, let's, yeah. it'll all be even more cynical. Right. It costs sure. a lot of money to save somebody when they overdose. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Naloxone is – the state is, is spending thousands of dollars uh, equipping all of their guards with naloxone, which is this uh, anti-opioid overdose remedy Um yeah, there. I mean, there are little mini hospital uh, hospitals on call um, whenever there's a man down situation, and they're they're just happening left and right, and it's very expensive. So, how did you find this story in the first place? How did you know to look under this rock? 
So it started back in December. There were two San Quentin death row inmates that died uh, within 24 hours of each other. And I just thought that that was fascinating. At first, I'm thinking, like, is there a murder or something? And so a death row murder. Yeah, death row murder. Yeah, that's what I thought. (laughs) And um, I have a couple sources at San Quentin and one of them told me, oh, no, it's it's overdoses. And the, the prison wasn't saying yet what they uh, what they were dying of. But usually they have some idea right away. Um, so I got leaked to me an internal document that showed that there was an emergency meeting called to discuss um, deadly contraband that had been that had made its way into death row. Nobody wants to hear the words deadly contraband and death row. No, no. And it, and it was it was such a, a dry email message, too. But but to me that, you know, just a light starts going off in my head. And um, throughout that reporting, uh, another source told me that internally prison officials were freaking out about this, um, that already there were 800 hospitalizations. That was early December. And um that, that number just seemed astronomical to me. So I, I filed a public records request to get that in writing. And then that's how this story and thus came to fruition. Yeah. Why, why is it that we're seeing this increase in the prisons? I mean, how are they getting opioids in the prisons? There are so many ways. And, and th- this was probably the most fascinating part of the reporting for me because yeah, like we were talking about earlier, I, I'm, I'm you know, terrified to bring a water bottle on an airplane. And um, it's so the, the prisons have been pouring millions of dollars into trying to intercept these drugs. They have you know, drug sniffing dogs and low dose body scanners and parcel scanners and still overdoses are spiking. Um, so what Prison officials, uh, or at least one was telling me, is that they, um, a visitor, say, will put it up in orifice and remove it in the bathroom and exchange it to the inmate through a kiss. Um, wow. In other, in other instances, there are drones that are dropping the prisons into yards. Drones, drones. can fly yes. over a prison. That's yeah, incredible. I, I believe that there, there was a law that is now preventing that, uh, the drones from flying over prison yards, but that, that was one way. Um, well, that's very creative. You it's have very to, you creative. Have to... I, I, like I said, this is a fascinating topic. I mean, yeah. it, it, it puts the fear of you know what into me, the idea of sneaking any contraband into a prison. Right. What happens to people if they're caught doing this? Um, they are supposed to be prosecuted. Um, sometimes only the inmate is the one that's caught and they will get charged just like anybody else would by the local district attorney. Um, sometimes, like if it's a guard or a staffer, they'll be charged as well. But sometimes people aren't charged. Um, if it's, say, a visitor that comes and you know sees that there's a drug-sniffing dog there that day, uh, they have the option to say, nah, I don't want to be searched, and turn around and leave. And they can't really do anything about that. The, o- the only thing that they do is um, they ban that visitor from the prison for six months. Do you have any indication of why somebody might, you know, presumably you're visiting somebody who's a loved one or a friend. Why would somebody want to sneak opioids into a prison? Uh, I've heard it is a lot to help their loved one pay off a drug debt inside the prison. Um, One of the most just heartbreaking stories that I heard was that there was an elderly couple who wanted to help 
their son pay off a drug debt, uh, went up to the prison yard, to the, to the gate, and tried to throw a football over it, stuffed with drugs and phones. But the, the man's arm wasn't good enough, and the football got caught, and then they just took off in a car. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. So basically, when you say pay off a drug debt in, inside our prisons, there are pretty there are often sophisticated gang networks. Oh, sure. Yeah. And 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 so the the drug debt, maybe their son was on drugs and needed to pay somebody or how does that work? That was my understanding of it. Um, and I think that it's there. There is a very um, intricate system inside the prisons and uh one of the guards that I interviewed said that it, it's the purest form of capitalism, that there's a lot of snitching going on with uh, with the drug trade. You know, if um, if you cut off one guy's supply, then it's going to make it more lucrative for you because the demand is higher. Um, very complex and actually a sophisticated system of, of drug dealing in prisons. So why aren't the current efforts, why are they not enough right now? Um. The way that it was told to me is that it would take 90% of the um, interdiction budget to catch the last 10% of the drugs. And there's just really no appetite for that um, because, you know, you close up one loophole, somebody will find another. Um, the drug-sniffing dogs, they aren't there 24-7. The low-dose scanners uh, don't necessarily catch everything. Like if it's in an orifice, it, it uh, sometimes won't catch that. Um, so, yeah, they have tried a lot of things, and I, I don't think that anything is foolproof. Now, this seems to be a bigger problem at some prisons compared to others. Right. Why, why, is there, why have there been spikes at just a handful of them. Yeah, I never got a good answer to that. Um, I, I think that probably the easiest answer is is they're just leakier. <laughs> More of a sieve for people, visitors, guards, employees, sure. teachers. There's a lot of people who come in and out of the prison system right. every day. There's in some towns, these are this is the major economy. Right, right. There was um there in the budget last year, there was a $9.1 million um, that was directed to a pilot program um, to try to close off all of these loopholes. Um, that was in the current fiscal year. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see how much or if all of this money uh, will make a difference there. So how does this play into the national opioid epidemic that we know that we have? How are these two things connected? It's reflective of the, the national opioid epidemic. And there, there's evidence, though, that it is worse in probably not just California prisons, but in prisons, because these a lot of people are there um, because of drug addictions or, or crimes that they committed to get drugs or while on drugs. So, it, you know, it would make sense that more people in prisons have a substance abuse issues. That it would be more disproportionate. Sure. There. Sure. Right. So what, for these people who are addicted to drugs who, you know, again, it's a complicated ec economy, as you pointed out, the drug trade in prison, you can't have the supply without the demand. What sort of rehab is available for people who are connected or uh, addicted to opioids or any drug or alcohol? There, there are substance abuse um, treatments available. Um, and actually, that is kind of where the legislative budget is uh, heading towards this year. Um, it's it's 
they're kind of saying like there's there's no way that we can close up all of these loopholes. But what we need to do is get to the the root of the problem, which is addiction and uh, focus on more um, medical assisted treatment. Now, I, I want to take a just a slight detour. You've written a lot for us in um, our, our email newsletters that go to our subscribers about how you how you specifically request public records. Yes. And you joined us last year. Right, last year or has it been two years? Uh, I actually uh, yesterday, I believe, was my anniversary. Oh, here. congratulations! Yes. <laughs> Thank Excellent. You. I was going to say it didn't seem like that long, yeah. but you came here from Arizona. Yes. Um, were you a, an avid records requester there too? I was. Yes, I love records. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, I don't think a lot of people know what California's laws are. Actually, the federal laws too are around public records. Why don't you talk a little bit about um, the records that you can get? from the the government okay. and 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 how you go about doing that. Uh, so the government should keep records on everything that they do. That's what we the taxpayers are paying them to do it and they work for us. So, you know, just think of yourself as as their boss. Uh if you want a record from from the government, uh there is typically a uh records section um easy enough to Google, find their email, phone number. Um, sometimes there's, you know, certain ways that you would want to phrase a records request and it can be helpful to talk to somebody on the phone. Um, but yeah, uh, they are required in California to at least respond to you within 10 days. Um, and then... And some cities have even more stricter rules than that. Like there, San Francisco, are, you, right. you can, in some cases, get records within 24 hours. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of times also records are available online. There, there are some cities who are really trying to hold themselves up as transparent. And so there, there's with Oakland, with San Francisco – there are a lot of, say, crime stats that are already there online that you can find. Now, you were saying in this case, an advocate um, w emailed you after the story ran and said, how did you get that information? It wasn't even online. And, mm -hmm. and I think the reason I ask you about this is because I, I, whenever I tell people every document produced by a government agency is public with a few very rare exceptions, mm -hmm. personnel records um, for the federal government, national security right. secrets, obviously, but open investigations, right? Open right. investigations. But but otherwise, everything is fair game. It is right. public knowledge and it doesn't have to be on a website for it to be, quote unquote, accessible to the public. Exactly. Right. I mean, and, and this one, you know, I I was so focused in the first place on overdose deaths that I just didn't even think about hospitalizations until somebody that I was talking to said, oh, yeah, there's been 800 hospitalizations. So, yeah, I wouldn't have even thought to ask for it unless this woman who was my tipster mentioned it to me. Right. And and I don't know what you thought when you came to California from Arizona, but um, I know when I moved here a long time ago from from Boston, in Boston, they would compile police reports by zip code for you. Oh, and wow. I got, yeah, it was amazing. And then I got to California. I asked for a police report and they said, oh, that, that's not public. Face, we, yeah, right? they would laugh yeah. in my face. But it varies from city to city and state to state, too. It does. Yeah, I, I was surprised here that um, how difficult it is to get a police report because usually I in Phoenix, I would just, you know, it was a pain, but go to the records department and, you know, take a little ticket, sit down and wait, and then I'd get my report. 
Others, you know, if it's a violent crime, it would need to be redacted, but you'll get the report. And here, at least in some cities, you have to be in, named in the report to be able to get it as right. the suspect or the victim. So that that makes it really difficult. Um, well, it makes yeah. it difficult. I mean, talk talk a little bit about why, because we use these docu- documents to make sure we get things right. Right. Uh, it's not just so we can see the salacious details. They're really a fundamental part of the reporting because you can't always get people on the phone. And sometimes people don't remember things right or they may be mistaken. Right. Yeah. Um, what was the question? There wasn't one. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of reaction did you get from people when the story came out? It was mixed. Um, there are, you know, the usual trolls who write and say, ah, let them overdose and who cares. But uh, at least from the prisoners' advocates, uh, they were very happy that there was some light shown on this problem on what's, you know, a lot of times a pretty forgotten population. What I like about some of those troll emails, to be honest with you, is if you decide you don't care about this story, you mm-hmm. can decide to not care about this story. Right. But at least there's somebody out there getting the information so that the advocates and the people who are charged with rehabilitating criminals mm-hmm. know what's going on. Oh, exactly. Well, and nobody pays attention to my Twitter bio because I, I give a specific email address for insults. Uh, that's <laughs> different than your other one? I'm going it's to a Hotmail account. Does right? it work? <laughs> no. Oh, well, that's too bad. I was going to try it. Well, for anyone who wants to read more about this story, it's still up on our website, sfchronicle.com. Megan Cassidy, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Fifth Emission is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.